You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Maybe God has spoken to you, and he's confirmed something that he wants you to do. Well, he's preparing you to do that, which he's called you to do. But listen, don't get out in front of the Lord and make your own way. Just wait on the Lord. And if, in fact, God is leading and God is anointing, then you can be sure that God will make a, a way. And so more than anything else, I think that's one of the reasons why Saul had uh, waited and did nothing actually to establish the kingdom. Have you ever been so certain about a specific calling from God on your life that you can't help but wonder why things aren't moving along? This is perhaps one of the most common hurdles in the life of the believer. Take care not to get ahead of the Lord. As Pastor Mike will teach you in his message today, God's calling in your life is only but a fraction of the process. In his study, you'll learn how God often takes as much time as needed to prepare you as well as several other factors relative to that call. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 11 as he begins his message, An Evil Oppressor. Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to begin by reading verses 1 through 3. The title is An Evil Oppressor. So let's go ahead and read those first three verses of Scripture here in 1 Samuel chapter 11. So verse 1, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead, that city. So obviously this Ammonite leader surrounded the city. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will uh, serve you. So obviously the men of that city felt that that was the only way that they could survive this attack was by their surrendering. Verse 2, and Nahash the Ammonite answered them and said, on this condition I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. So obviously they felt like losing an eye would have been better than losing their lives, because in verse 3, then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel, that is to the other tribes, and then if there is no one to save us or no one who will come to help us, we will come out to you. So once again, this message, an evil oppressor. 
Remember now, after the events that had taken place at Mizpah, where Saul was introduced as Israel's first king. Remember, we talked about the selection process, how that all came to pass. Remember the uh, drawing of the lots, and finally the lot fell upon Saul. Well, Saul then returned to Gibeah, where he apparently made no attempt to set up his kingdom. Now, that raises the question, or should at least raise the question in our minds, why was that? I mean, he'd already been anointed as king. Uh, It had already been confirmed through the prophet uh, Samuel. So why didn't he attempt to set up his kingdom at that particular time? Well, I believe there are several reasons why. First of all, not to give those who had opposed his appointment. Remember, we talked about that last time. In fact, just quickly go back to chapter 10, the uh, previous chapter. Notice there in verse 27, but some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him, that is Saul, and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. So in other words, they wouldn't recognize his being anointed as Israel's first uh, king. So anyway, not to give those who had opposed his appointment, an opportunity to criticize his administration. So that may have been one of the reasons uh, why. Secondly, also, he needed men and money to establish his throne. And this could only be acquired through forcing the people into royal service, that is, into the military. Also, would include, uh, had included extracting taxes from the people. But remember, Samuel had warned Saul about doing those things. Remember back in Acts 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 18. And so presently, there is an absence of a unified army. So Saul then is waiting for a more suitable time to consolidate the tribes. But you know what? I, I think more than anything else, most of all, and you got to commend Saul, for this, he was just simply waiting for God to fulfill his word, that is to establish the kingdom and his being Israel's first king. And, uh, and I like that. And again, I, this is something that I think we should uh, commend, first of all, take note of and commend Saul uh, for. You know, a uh, you know, practical application of this in our, in our own lives. You know, maybe God has spoken to you. And he's confirmed something that he wants you to do. Well, he's preparing you to do that, which he's called you to do. But listen, don't get out in front of the Lord and make your own way. Just wait on the Lord. And if, in fact, God is leading and God is anointed, then you can be sure that God will make a a way. And so more than anything else, I think that's one of the reasons why Saul had uh, waited and did nothing actually to establish the kingdom. Well, uh, that time had now uh, come, according to what we are about to read here in uh, chapter 11. In about 1043 BC, this fellow that we're introduced to here, Nahash, verse 1, the Ammonite gathered together his battalions and marched northward. His goal was to subjugate the tribe of Gad and Gad's principal uh, cities. Now, you would think Gad and its leaders would have sought the Lord when they were threatened by Nahash the Ammonite 
you'd think that they would have spent some time repairing their relationship with the Lord. You know, in fact, if their relationship with the Lord had been intact, this probably wouldn't even happen in the first place. So they are faced with this threat that is recorded for us here in these first three verses of Scripture, but there's an absence of, notice, they're not giving any thought to God and their relationship to God. And also, I, I want to add, you know, sometimes, you know, in our own personal experience in life, you know, God sometimes brings struggles, trouble at our door to get our attention, maybe to drive us back to him, that we would make our appeal unto the Lord. You know, in fact, if you're ever experiencing trouble or difficulties or you're struggling with something in your life, and I mean, after all, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. How many times have you told me, you know, we've made that commitment to Christ and we've given him control over our lives? Make no mistake about it. When we do that, he does take control over our lives. So how do we reconcile those terrible things, troubles, difficulties, the struggles that we encounter in our life's experience with the God who has taken control of our lives and who is supposed to supremely love us. So rather than getting all bent out of shape and being all confused about those kinds of issues, I think the first thing that we need to do is ask God, God, why have you allowed this thing to come upon me? What are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to tell me? And, and, so, and then we make our appeal unto God. So uh, I, I think that's the, that's the way that we should approach uh, life's uh, problems, because in fact it is true that God allows some of those things to come into our lives for a very specific reason and purpose. Well, instead, notice now the inhabitants of the city, they passively accept Nahash's right to rule over them. And what do they say? Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. You know, it is so pitiful seeing men tamely submitting to a vile, evil master, and such is the case before us here. You know, the equivalent of this, when I, when I was thinking about this and trying to bring it down into a personal illustration, you know, the equivalent of this sort of thing is making concessions with our flesh caving into temptation, sin, the devil. Think about it, right? You know, rather than resisting, rather than fighting against it, they were ready to submit. In fact, many writers describing this event notice the many similarities between Nahash and the devil. And by the way, the name Nahash is literally translated serpent or snake. I don't know if you knew that. So, you know, maybe this would be a, 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 you know, maybe this would sort of be like a type, a type of the a devil, that is Nahash. Because think about it, the very things that Nahash was seeking to do amongst God's people are the very things that the devil wants to do in the lives of all of God's people as well. He wants to exalt himself. He wants to humiliate you. He wants to control you. He wants to blind you to the truth. And he wants to also make you incapable to fight against him. He wants you to get to a place that you're willing to surrender and make concessions with him. So do you see the similarities between the two? 
hey, listen, we need to fight against him. We need not uh, cave in, right? So I, I think that this very much parallels you know, the work that the devil is seeking to do within the lives of God's people. So anyway, in place of repentance, humility, and waiting before God, they, per- they propose this alliance. You know, also I want to add, you know, the benefits of living a godly life are many. One of them is just simply having a strong uh, confidence, you know, that God is going to work on our behalf. That no matter what we face in our life's experience, God will help us to get through it. And again, we don't have to cave in under those pressures. I want to give you a couple of uh, cross-references for this. The first is recorded for us in the book of Proverbs. But in the book of Proverbs, in chapter uh, 14, let me share that with you. I'll read it for you. In Proverbs chapter 14, there in verse 26, we read, In the fear of the Lord, or as we reverence the Lord, as we're walking with the Lord, as our relationship with the Lord is the right one, we are then told there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. And so that's a wonderful uh, promise, isn't it? I want to give you another uh, cross-reference for this. In the book of Psalms, and uh, Pastor Jose, maybe you can, I'm going to put you to work now. In the 33rd Psalm, in verses 8 through uh, 12. So in the 33rd Psalm, in verses 8 through 12. And again, all of these promises, God will make good on them, That is, if your relationship with him is the correct one. You know, just knowing that his hand is upon your life. We have that confidence. No matter what comes our way, God is going to enable us and help us to be able to deal with it. Not only deal with it, but triumph over it. So there, as a cross-reference in the 33rd Psalm, verses 8 through 12. Let all the earth fear the Lord or reverence the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all uh, generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. And so the benefits of having the right kind of a relationship with the Lord, as we walk with the Lord, as God wants us to, we have that confidence that God is with us, that his hand is upon our lives. But there's an absence of this here in chapter 11. In fear and cowardice, They threw themselves on the mercy of a tyrant. And gang, let me tell you something. There's no mercy to be found in any kind of a tyrant. You know, one writer commenting on this said, and I quote, in one simple verse, we see the effects of spiritual apathy. For whenever a nation's strong Godward commitment begins to slacken, those who rely upon political shrewdness and ability, instead of true godliness, come to the forefront. 
you know, I think that this accur accurately describes our United States of America and the things that are going on right now in our country. Those who have made a stand for what is right soon find themselves in the minority. And before long, they are outnumbered and outvoted. The result is an inevitable deterioration in morale, followed by discouragement, confusion, and in time, the destruction of the moral fiber of the people. Does that sound familiar to any of you right now? I think basically that you know, pretty much describes what's going on across our United States of America today. Now let's go back to our text. Notice Nahash's response in verse 2. Let's read it one more time. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all of Israel. So such mutilation would render the men unfit for war, for it would no longer be convenient for them to hide behind their shields as they went forth in battle in close hand-to-hand -hand combat. You see, the man with one eye uh, has less depth perception, and uh, so he would be unable to actually fight uh, in hand-to-hand -hand, uh, combat. And isn't, again, exactly what I've already suggested, isn't that exactly what the devil wants to do? Take away our ability and our effectiveness to be able to fight against him. Well, notice in verse 3, once again, the elders debated the issue, and then in desperation, they asked if they could send for help. They said, give us seven days. Now, this request is absolutely ludicrous, but obviously, it appealed to Nahash's vanity. Haughty and confident, he agrees. And he gives them seven days before they bring forth an answer, before he attacks them. Because he's certain the other tribes, the other 11 tribes, to the west were too disunited at this time to be able to raise an army in that short of a period of time. Now, let's go on now in our text, verses 4 and 5. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And isn't that exactly what Nahash was seeking to accomplish? Right? You know, to get them in a place where they were discomforted and confused and fearful. Well then, verse 5. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people? The messengers that had arrived to bring forth that news. That they weep. And they told him the words of the men of Judah. Now I also want to remind you at this time, Saul had already been anointed by God through Samuel as Israel's a king. So again, he's just simply waiting on the Lord here. Now, so messengers were sent throughout the major cities of Israel, sharing the plight of those in Jabesh Gilead. And one of the messengers reached Gibeah in Benjamin. 
And that news became the catalyst for establishing Saul's kingdom. As I mentioned before, the time now is right to establish the kingdom and Saul as Israel's king. Well, the news spread. People began to gather. Questions were asked. Confirmation was obtained. Notice there in verse 4, we are told the people wept. Now, why did the people uh, weep when they heard this uh, news throughout all of the tribes? Well, remember, they were all related by blood to the people of Jabesh Gilead, there in Benjamin. And notice there Saul, in verse 5, at that very moment, was coming from the fields, according to our text. He inquires about all of the commotion, and when he is told the facts, the Spirit of God comes upon him, according to verse 5. Six, the Spirit of God afresh comes upon Saul. And then all of a sudden, these new abilities kick in. And he is flooded with courage, enthusiasm, and wisdom to size up the situation. You know what's going on here? Saul is experiencing one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that is the gift of wisdom. Which is, one, which is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of wisdom. Now, what is that particular gift of the Spirit, the gift of uh, wisdom? Well, it's a wisdom beyond the uh, wisdom that we already possess to meet a specific and a certain need. Now, maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you're facing some kind of a dilemma and you don't know where to, uh, to turn. You can't figure out uh, a solution to some kind of a a problem. Uh, You don't know where to go. And so what do you do? Well, what you should do is make your appeal unto uh, God. And you should seek God for this particular gift. You know, Paul says when he was addressing the subject of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he says, covet the more excellent gift. But what is the more excellent gift? Is it prophecy? Is it the gift of healing? Well, it happens to be whatever gift you have need of at any particular uh, time. So if you're facing a dilemma or a situation and you don't know what to do, you know, you should ask God to give you the gift of a wisdom, and God will impart that to you. So it's a type of wisdom. It's supernatural. Uh, Previously, you haven't possessed that particular gift, and then God gives you it at that time to meet a specific and certain need. And that's exactly what was going on here on this occasion. And so Saul determines what needs to be done and how to inspire others to follow him. In my Father's house There's a place for me in my Father's house where I long to be. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. If you've missed any part of this message, you'll find it online at harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Venezio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. 
As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can connect with us. We want to hear from you. If you've been listening for months or even the first time today, let us know. Have you been blessed by a teaching here on In My Father's House? Have you been able to share what you've learned with someone else? We want to hear your story. It's such an encouragement and brings us great joy to know how this program is blessing our listeners. So please, let us know you've been tuning in. You can send us a message right from our website. Just go to harvestnyc.org and click on Contact. You'll find a form to fill out and we'll connect with you as soon as possible. You can also let us know you've been listening by sending an email to harvestnyc at verizon.net. Please feel free to share your prayer request too. We'd be honored to join you in seeking God's direction in your life. Again, just email harvestnyc at verizon.net. If you're listening to our broadcast and aren't in the Manhattan area, We'd like to invite you to join our weekly worship services live on our website. We stream our gatherings on Thursday at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more and connect at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. Join Pastor Mike next time for another edition of In My Father's House. Oh,